Welcome to Taiwan R25 on Master of the Flying Guillotine and the Shaolin Invincibles. And in the first half, Jimmy Wang Yu dons the one-armed boxer persona again and pits uh, in that in, in that role that pits him against the blind master of the Flying Guillotine in Master of the Flying Guillotine, featuring said one-armed boxer being a bit of a cheating poo-poo head. We'll get to that. It's also known as uh, one-on boxer versus the flying guillotine, but we'll refer to it as master of the flying guillotine. And we'll also be talking about Shaolin Invincibles, which is widely known as the one with the gorillas, and there's a good reason for that because it does indeed feature a pair of kung fu fighting gorillas. Uh, but unlike some other Taiwanese films we've discussed, who tend to turn up the cray cray in order to distract from their budgetary and artistic shortcomings uh shallon invincibles actually has a lot going for it a lot to recommend it mm-hmm. and we'll get to that and uh, it was funny we we uh, we, we wrote uh, separate intros and my, my alternate intro that was always going to be inferior to thoughts because he's the writer of the punch here but my alternate intro for shallon invincibles would have been like in a world of conflict heroes will arise that inspire the generation nope not going there shaolin invincible has gorillas it's shaolin gorilla welcome to taiwan <laughs> it ends here <laughs> exactly <laughs> the final confl- conflict and it kind of was the final conflict because we never really saw gorillas as such uh in this form we saw we saw mighty peaking man but that was yes. you know that was obviously a mighty and big peaking man st- stomping on people not regular sized gorillas trained by kings emperors or kung fu masters this is a film that will change the way you view gorillas forever let's just put it that way and uh, it is deserving of a view indeed but uh, let's uh, let's get into it and I, i'm gonna be uh, and uh, of course uh, to introduce him properly todd statman is here the multimedia man and uh, now we're a gorilla man i suppose uh, discussing gorilla <laughs> movies oh welcome buddy hi everybody thank you ken it's a pleasure as always it's going to be a context and uh, fun, hopefully, this episode. But uh, we'll uh, we'll launch into it as uh, quick as we can. And this is Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. And we have uh, other shows on Hong Kong Cinema, uh, Sans Gorillas. Uh, most most of our shows are Sans Gorillas. If we, if we review Mighty Peking Man on Podcast on Fire, then that's another Gorilla show. But uh, for now, this is the reigning champion on, on, on the network of Gorilla <laughs> podcasts. Yes. Yeah, we've been lacking in Gorilla content so far. So hopefully this will, yeah, balance the scales a little bit. People have craved it, not verbally, but I've, I've felt it. In the, you know, I felt a disturbance, like, like a, lack, a, a lack of Gorilla chat. <laughs> yes, a disturbance in the force. Yes, indeed. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, you also have bonus episodes and uh, plenty of other ch- shows to uh, choose from on our website. Uh, email us if you have any questions or feedback. Uh, Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Interact with us on social media. We have handy buttons at the top of our website. First, leading to our Facebook uh, presence. Uh, it will lead you to our page. So leave a like and support. But also join the discussion group once you're on Facebook. It's called Podcast on Fire Network. And we post show updates and uh, discussion topics and what have you. So we should discuss some gorilla when this show comes out it's gonna blow up the group i'm, I'm calling it right now <laughs> <laughs> and uh check us out on twitter as well click the twitter button click the itunes button if you are a user of podcasts uh, uh, that way via itunes uh, subscribe to our feed leave a star rating and even a written comment uh, about uh, what you thought of any specific show including taiwan or 
and uh, finally click the Stitcher radio button that will lead you to their website presence where you can stream our shows but you can do that uh, on the go in the most convenient way of ways by downloading their applications available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And I write about these uh, crazy uh, Taiwanese movies, Hong Kong movies, uh, ninja movies, lazy movies over at SoGoodReviews.com and a variety of genres. And I also do basic spoken audio video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com and my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. My friend, my friend, my friend. Plug, plug, plug. Yes. Uh, Floor is yours. Plug as much as you want or as little as you want. So. Actually, I've just got one thing I want to plug and I'm not sure if I've talked about it before on Taiwan Noir. My... Uh... My first novel, Please Don't Be Waiting for Me, is going to be coming out soon. I'm self-publishing it, and it's basically ready to go. I'm just waiting to clear up some legal issues so I don't get in any trouble. What are legal issues in this case? Like names and places that can't... Uh... No, it's I quoted quite a lot of song lyrics in ah. it, so I have to get clearance for those. Uh, so And I have gotten most of them there's just one i'm waiting on right now so hopefully i'll be running that in like the next month or so and in the meantime i've set up a website for it where you can check it out there's a sample chapter there's you know a lot of sort of historical background on it because it has to do with the early punk scene in san francisco circa 1980 so if you go the book's called please don't be waiting for me the website is pdbwfm.com and uh, there's a contact link so if you want to give me an email let me know what you think please do excellent excellent i'm 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 almost proud of you when you're creative and uh, it's always inspiring like uh, you you never know with todd uh, where he's uh, where he's heading next uh, you know in terms of review choices and all of, and you know he wrote a big uh, book about bollywood cinema non-fiction of course and uh, this is yes. uh, presumably presumably uh, fiction centering around uh, things and places and groups and music that did exist in real life i suppose yes Yes, it is not autobiographical, but it does draw on my personal experiences, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does indeed, and uh, we will link, of course, to a website, and uh, wish you luck, and uh, whore and plug when the uh, book comes <laughs> out, including of a group, you're very welcome to do so. Thanks, Ken. Okay, guys, uh, a little rundown. Uh, we got a few sections coming up, uh, so uh, you'll uh, know what to expect, and you can fast forward to anything you like in uh, therefore. So uh, here's the rundown of the content, and uh, I post, post timestamps in the show post, so you can uh, scan through the show more conveniently that way. So first, we'll discuss Master of the Flying Gating star and director Jimmy Wang Yu, which is then followed by our review, our review and discussion of the movie. There will be a break, and after that, we tackle the Shaolin Invincibles and its gorillas in our review and discussion. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be ironic if we just left out any talk of the gorillas? <laughs> you know, like, uh, psych. Like, talk of it very, like, in a scholarly way. This movie is a very historically historically important epic. <laughs> It's a good movie, though. I am gonna, I'll prepare you. I, I really enjoyed the movie, so I'm not... I mean, I've definitely... The gorillas are laughable, I will admit that. But other than that, it's a good movie. I agree. Uh, I that's, agree. My, uh, that's my standpoint on it. Here, I am not here to mock 
shell and invincible. No, never mind. And uh, I am here to praise it. <laughs> that is awesome and uh, good good vibes only, people. But uh, in the meantime, we'll do Master of the Flying Guillotine from 1976 and plot from the Hong Kong digital review of the film in the Shaw Brothers picture Flying Guillotine from the year before. So it's it's hinting at Jimmy Wang used inspiration, if you will. The hat-shaped device was used by the Qing government during the 18th century to assassinate Ming revolutionaries. And Master of the Flying Guillotine continues this premise as the one-armed boxer, played by Wang Yu, is stalked by assassin Feng Sheng uh, Wu Qi, played by Cam Kong, despite the fact that uh, that assassin is elderly and completely blind. Uh, Feng Sheng remains a formidable opponent and arrives in the area just as a grand martial arts tournament gets underway. Fighters from all over Asia are in attendance and Feng Sheng strikes up an alliance with the representatives from Thailand, India, Japan and the Japanese uh, participant is played by common genre villain Lung Fei who you can see fight Jimmy Wang Yu in a variety of movies in the 70s. And all of those fighters are already anxious to test their skills against the legendary boxer. So this is actually a sequel to the movie called The One-Armed Boxer from 1970. I have a question, Ken. Is the flying guillotine, is that an actual thing? Like, did that exist? You you stumped me because while the movies, like I've never looked into it because it's just a, such a fun weapon uh, and sometimes a very bulky weapon depending on a movie you watch. I've never looked into it. I mean, the whole Ming versus Qing is, of course, historically accurate when you portray that oh, co- right. conflict in its basic uh, way. But for some reason, it never occurred to me to uh, perhaps shatter that bubble <laughs> to look up like, if you if you Google flying guillotine, you'll just get this movie. Basically, there's not a lot of historical info about it, but you know, I'm curious. Well, well, I'm thinking spontaneously it is made up because this is in the tradition of the wuxia pian, after all. Yes. So, um, I mean, uh, there there's some uh, formidable formidable yoga going on in <laughs> most of the flying guillotine. <laughs> Indeed, it makes me regret giving up on my yoga practice. I could have reached that level, man. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as for its star and director, Jimmy Wang Yu, the one-armed boxer, the Chinese boxer, the one-armed swordsman, or whatever character image you um, have as your favorite of uh, Jimmy Wang Yu's, uh, there's no doubt that he created and appeared in a long-lasting uh, genre cinema, despite being a bit of a troublemaker on and uh, primarily off-screen, really. Uh, but... Um, before appearing in his first movie for Shaw Brothers in 1965, uh, Jimmy served in the National Revolutionary Army and was also a swimming champion in Hong Kong. A few years into his contract at Shaw Brothers, he um, really got to be front and center and part of the new wave of action films at the studio. That One of those revolutions, if you will, meant the, the sort of change in wuxia pian or swordplay movies uh, from female heroes to male heroes. And this was firmly embodied and really exploded because it was successful in Chang Chie's classic one-armed swordsman. But Jimmy Wang Yu actually appeared already in a movie called Temple of the Red Lotus two years earlier, which is a movie arguably responsible for launching the launching the wuxia pian fantasy swordplay genre to a larger degree than ever before. There was like a step up quality-wise. I mean, fantasy elements had always been part of cinema but temple of the red lotus was sort of the it was a new 
more technically accomplished take on it all. The movie is okay. It's crude. And the stars look so young, man. And Lolit is in it, looking <laughs> like 14 years old. And Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Wang Yu is wow. uh, definitely... That I want to see. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. Historically important and a decent enough time. I mean, it, it isn't a three-hour investment. And Shaw Brothers' quality usually means it's watchable at the very least. Uh, but um, uh, going back to One on Swordsman, that spawned a sequel with Jimmy Wang Yu and an unrelated third entry, entry with uh, David Chang as the leader. That was the new One on Swordsman, so there, there was no continuation of the story. Uh, Jimmy collaborated in further movies with Chang Chia, director such as uh, The Assassin and Golden Swallow, which is the sequel to King Hu's Come Drink With Me, because Cheng Pei Pei's character is, um, is the same as in King Hu's movie. So Wang Yu was a star on the rise uh, at the time, and kind of the star on the block in terms of these genres before Bruce Lee arrived. Um, Bruce Lee didn't do swordplay, but this is where you can equate Wang Yu and Bruce Lee um, to uh, being sort of part of uh, part of the same genre content. Because in 1970, and this is kind of my favorite <laughs> Jimmy Wang Yu movie, uh, he got to direct uh, himself, and the result was The Chinese Boxer, which is really the movie that set the template for kung fu cinema uh, swords were exchanged for unarmed combat uh, raw fighting uh, gritty fighting and like several genre staples were very well defined in this Shaw Brothers production and I think that's it's such a fun movie Law Leet is on fire in that one playing a Japanese f- ginger head <laughs> fighter <laughs> no, it, it's it's really good fun I, I think it's fairly refined for its um, considering what it um does it's not like this uh, genre effort in infancy and 10 movies right. later they began to got uh, get a grasp of it i think the chinese boxer was that a shaw brothers film it, it was indeed it's also known okay. as hammer of the gods which is such a metal title <laughs> i love it yeah absolutely i've never seen it i i will have to see that it's a, it's a good time uh, not hard to get into because you you're familiar enough with kung fu movies and if you like jimmy then there's some fun stuff in there and uh, if you like lolita uh, there's definitely some fun stuff in there he's the main villain in that one I don't like Jimmy much, but I do like Lolit a lot. This was all a year before Bruce Lee became a superstar with a big boss. Uh, So the Kung Fu boom of the 70s had already started, but Bruce Lee would take it uh, to kind of greater levels, certainly greater international levels. uh, That uh, remains today. Like Jimmy isn't as talked of versus Bruce Lee nowadays because their impact was quite different uh, but um, in my opinion both are br- brought valid stuff I mean I'm not the biggest fan of Bruce Lee I uh, the movies are quite uneven but he was the superstar certainly the movies themselves kind of ropey in certain cases so the, he without Bruce Lee those movies would have just been forgotten uh, to time I think yeah but uh, as for Wang Yu again, apparently he left Shaw Brothers before completing his contract to uh, work in Taiwan instead, and he mixed that with appearances in in a variety of Golden Harvest productions. But apparently he didn't like that contract breach, which it sounds like it didn't uh, prevent him from continuing that career as an actor and filmmaker. So he had no, you know, there was no ban on him or extended legal battle that, that I know of because he continued to work. So he uh, logged the movie's uh, classics, in my opinion, like The one on Boxer. It's a sequel that we're talking of uh, tonight, The uh, one on Boxer versus The Flying Guillotine, a.k.a. Master of The Flying Guillotine. You also had Beach of the War Gods uh, in terms of directed work, but throughout the 70s, he, f- for me, it was fun to see Jimmy just f- 
fight through hordes of enemies in his brawl <laughs> style. You know, he, he wasn't a martial artist, but he, he could brawl quite well. So, there's a plethora of good fun movies. The Sword is a good Wu Shapian, The Desperate Chase, good swordplay movie. Savage Killers is a movie that uh, is widely seen, unfortunately, because it was the source movie for the Steve Oderkirk opus Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Yes. Uh-huh. Which I think is a one-time joke stretch out to 90 minutes that they just should have had a skit. They, they, they should have made an, an SNL-type skit and not a feature movie. But yeah. that was the source movie. Savage Killers for a Jimmy Wang Yu movie, perfectly acceptable. But within Kung Pu Enter the Fist with its silly noises, and uh, I, I wasn't a fan of that at all. I never saw it. It looked like it was going to be bad. It it pretty much was, yeah. So um, <laughs> okay. So don't bother. Uh, the Deadly Silver Spear is another movie, a good fun fantasy movie. Uh, Jimmy also appeared in the Australian Hong Kong co-production, The Man from Hong Kong, alongside George Lazenby. It it kind of didn't do wonders for his reputation, and I think <laughs> that this is where a lot of the stories come from. From uh, you know the director Brian Trenchard Smith, who's never been a di- dick about like uh, in terms of Jimmy Wang, you sucked. But it's just been sort of honest that Jimmy was apparently, and other cast and crew members said this, that he was reportedly, Wang Yu that is, treating fellow cast members very poorly, uh, especially women, uh, and saw himself as the director, really. If you watch the DVD release of Man from Hong Kong, I mean, like a lot of Brian Trenchard Smith's films, it's incredibly fast-paced and entertaining. Mm -hmm. But the extras and all... The uh, interviews with cast and crew, everyone is talking about what a dick Wang Yu was. And the stories that come out, like the lead actress uh, who plays his love interest said he would put bugs in his mouth and chew them up before the scenes where they had to kiss. fuck. (laughs) Yes. He sounds like someone who really had a problem with women, or at least white women. And then Trenchard Smith would occasionally do uh, stunts work in his films. And there's a scene where he fights Wang Yu, and you can see in the film that Wang Yu is just beating the hell out of Trenchard Smith. Yeah, he he, he was very... um pleasant about it i actually interviewed him uh, and uh, oh. and and i brought that up not for him to, to get gossip out of him but but i sort right. of hinted at that fight looked hard and kind of painful and he sort of hinted at yeah it's it's sort of to get that effect through i guess uh, that's what you need yeah. to do um he, he he has said you know very openly that we didn't see eye to eye at all times but he he's quick to credit jimmy for sort of the impact he can have in in a movie and i love man from hong kong uh, you, you know can, can you believe that was his first movie brian trenchard smith you know uh like out of the gate right away good fun and i have to point out that the theme song was the the hit song by jigsaw sky high mm-hmm. that that you're gonna be humming for a while after the movie yes exactly so anyway, I'm sorry to digress. No, but Man from to, Hong Kong deserves yeah. a mention, and, and certainly George Lazenby as well, doing some very dangerous fire stunts himself. Yes, indeed, he did. You know, Australian cinema being very hardcore, uh, as, as it was for a while. Yeah, they don't screw around. And as for Jimmy, he logged very few 80s credits as his popularity sort of decreased. But nevertheless, we saw we saw him in uh, Chang Che's All-Star Fighting Fest for Shanghai 13, in uh, Chu Yinping's prison drama Island of Fire, and in Taiwan veteran Ding Xin Tsai's last film, The Beheaded 1000, which was in 1993. And Jimmy's on-screen career seemed to 
you know, it was shelved from that point on, which seemed like anyway. He didn't appear for a long while. And it took uh, up until 2011. He made a critically acclaimed splash appearing in Peter Chan's movie entitled Wuxia, also known as Dragon. Neither title is easy to Google, to be honest. <laughs> if you look up Dragon, you uh, you know, good luck. You're going to be there for a while. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, it nonetheless earned Jimmy Wang your Best Supporting Actor nomination at both the Hong Kong Film Awards and Taiwan's Golden Horse Awards for his performance in that film. I believe he plays uh, a villain, but... Um, it's a, it's an impactful uh, performance. He won further acclaim for his performance in 2013 Soul, which I I haven't seen. I just read a brief blurb that it was like an autistic slasher movie of kind, so it wasn't kung fu or wuxia necessarily. It, it's all quite a wonderful comeback considering Jimmy actually had a stroke in 2011. He lost much of his strength on the left side of his body, but apparently worked hard through physical therapy and started sort of exceeding his daily requirement of weight training and exercise like tenfold and making nearly a full recovery in the process. Uh, so, uh, you know, good on him for you know, having that mental strength and uh, physical strength um, could or could build that up. So, uh, and, and to add to that uh, veterans comeback kid story, if you will, the New York Asian Film Festival honored Jimmy with their Lifetime Achievement Award in 2014 uh, with the man appearing in person to boot to uh, accept, uh, accept the award. So that's the good stuff. But as for his past trouble and attitude, you know, other than Man in Hong Kong, uh, there, there were facets of Jimmy's persona that are worth mentioning. You know, there's been reports of public brawls, uh, personal scandals, ties to the triads, which is really the least scandalous thing. You know, I, I, having a tie to the triad or ties to the triads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tumultuous marriages and even a murder charge. Uh, he, he faced a murder charge in, ta- charge in Taiwan in 1981, which was uh, I don't know much of the case, but it, it was dropped due to lack of evidence, by the way. So, um, uh, But his ties to triads was helpful. I imagine so. Yes, uh, helpful towards a very famous man called Jackie Chan, because Jackie wanted out of his contract with producer and director Lawway and uh, to pursue creativity elsewhere, and that worked out, because rumor has it that uh, it worked out over a several-day-long sort of hostage-like situation slash negotiation and uh, Jackie uh, got out of his contract and returned a favor to Jimmy Wang Yu um, over the years by appearing in both Fantasy Mission Force and uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jackie was it worth it Fantasy Mission Force (laughs) did you have to do that (laughs) well I have nothing bad to say about Fantasy Mission Force because it's such a a, I love it I mean mean, Jackie's role oh yeah Jackie's in it as well because the movie is so batshit nuts that yeah. uh, you sort of, oh yeah, Jack is in it too. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's sort of Pearl Chang's sidekick in it. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. We, yeah. we, which is something <laughs> I've never seen. Which is, is hey, yeah. look at her. It's the Wolf and Ninja and uh, Jack Chan. <laughs> I am so down with the FMF. I love that film. We, we, we're going we're gonna to get to that on this show uh, eventually for certain. Well, Jackie also appeared in Island of Fire, which was uh, with Jimmy Wang Yu, which was by the same director of uh, Fantasy Mission Force, Chui Yanping, and we've covered Chui Yanping's movies such as Requital and Hunting List on this show. And uh, on the scandals front, we have the case of Wang Yu wooing actress uh, uh, Janet Lin Choi in the late 60s, who was married with children at the time. There was an affair, uh, ultimately, between them subsequently, and uh, they married too, and uh, she didn't divorce her husband uh, before they... You know, she tied the knot with someone else. Husband was a director called uh, uh, Qin Jian, who subsequently took his own life in the wake of this affair. So, 
not uh, not uh, the best thing to come out of this. Uh, and it turned out to be a tumultuous affair for both Wang and Lin. And amid allegations of wife beating, uh, the marriage crumbled in uh, 1975. They had three daughters, and their eldest daughter, Linda Wong, became a popular cantopop singer in the 1990s. Uh, his wife, Lin, migrated to the United States in 1977 and died in 1995 after an asthma attack. Wang Yu, we're nearly done here. He later remarried, this time to air hostess uh, Wang Kai-chen. Their marriage, too, proved to be a stormy one, as uh, Wang Kai-chen filed for divorce in 1997. And maybe out of frustration, she started an affair with a young businessman called Zhang Xiao. And when Jimmy heard that, he uh, attracted, uh, he, he uh, wanted some reporters to accompany him. Uh, as well as police, and surprised the couple at their house and publicly exposed his wife. So that's a little sample of what Jimmy Wang Yu was doing, even in his sort of elder years. You know, it sounded like if if that was going on today, Jimmy Wang Yu would have his own reality series, and it would be on every night. Exactly, there's ways to capitalize on that stuff. Um, yeah, but uh, but ho- hopefully his health has mellowed him out, and he's uh, he's, uh, he's happy now and all of that. So. Uh, uh, but that's Jimmy Wang Yu. Let's go back to Master of the Flying Guillotine. And uh, what, uh, why don't you share the short opinion of yours of uh, of this movie? And uh, have you seen it uh, before, by any chance? Yes. In fact, both of these films we're talking about tonight, I watched, but a very, very long time ago. So re-watching them was kind of educational. I mean, I think Master of the Flying Guillotine, it's, it's fair to call label that as a cult classic. Am I right? I mean... I'm surprised by people, you know, non like cult film fans who when you mention that film like, "Oh, I love that film" because it was on Kung Fu Theater. You know, it was a staple of the Kung Fu Theater uh format that they'd have Saturday afternoons. So, it is uh, you know, and Quentin Tarantino was influenced by it and all that. For me, it's just it's I, you know, it's it's a pretty good film for me. It's crippled by its middle section mm-hmm. because you've got the plot that's established that is, you know, a, a, a revenge, you know, a revenge stalking type plot. Um, and that's very well set up. But then you the whole middle of the film is the tournament. You know, it's very digressive. I mean, I guess... Uh, am I wrong? Is the tournament film sort of a subgenre within kung fu cinema? I mean, well, well, yeah, it is, but not this extensive, though. So. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, Enter the Dragon, I think, is probably like the most famous example. Of and that. even the first one on Boxer had elements of that, but uh, uh, but but once it's past that, you know, the last half hour is is good loony stuff. Oh, the last half hour of this film is amazing. It's crazy. And we'll stop you right there, Dave, because now we've established what to expect here. You know, build up, middle section, and then the, the, the half hour. And, you know, for me, the loony elements have always stayed with me in a favorable manner. Uh, I was surprised by this viewing, uh, how sl- how slowly Wang Yu rolls out his um, elements. Uh, and the, the middle section with the tournament, it's okay partially to run that long, but not thoroughly. Um, yeah. He sort of isn't uh, in a hurry, and that, that's a slight sign of confidence, um, because we also have our villain pop up here and there, and in full force. You know, he established yeah. that this is a villain that's to reckon with, and uh, yeah, he's he's kind of a super villain, actually. 
Exactly. It, 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 it is also in the realm of uh, fantasy. This so uh, that works. And uh, you know the plethora of fighters is adds good color. And then by the last third, the one on box takes care of business. And you know he populates it with so much color that uh, when you walk away from it, you feel like. Yeah, that was pretty damn cool. So, so he he's certainly not um, populating it with just a thing, but uh, he's got a plethora of things, which I think is uh, the key for likability. I think it's a uh, quite a fun movie. On the plus side for the tournament sequence, it is kind of a freak show, you know, yes. and it has like <laughs> <laughs> you know the best being. It's interesting also that both these films are talking about are not they're not fantasy. martial arts films but they each have certain outlandish elements in in flying guillotine it's the indian guy we know he's indian because even though he's a you know obviously a chinese actor with his face darkened but they play sitar music whenever he comes on and he's supposed to be a yoga master and what he does is his arms stretch like reed richards and uh, and it's very obvious that the actor is holding poles underneath with gloves on the end underneath his sleeve. So it's kind of like a Halloween, a very creative Halloween costume. But that is that's very grand. And then there's a, a monkey fighter who does all the Monkey King moves. If you've seen any Journey to the West movies, he does all that kind of capering around. That's when you're reminded it's fantasy because certain, the movie overall plays in, it feels fairly grounded. You're very right. Uh, I mean, having a flying guillotine is a cool thing, but you you wonder is that enough color? What's what's Wang Yu gonna bring here? Is he gonna stick with a straight face narrative with a flying guillotine, or is he gonna establish some fun? And I think uh, that was the right choice to go outlandish. You know, establish yeah. some tropes. You know, revenge, but establish your villain through a very badass looking actor called Cam Kong, who's yeah. One of the better examples of let's paste gray hair on someone way way young. Because he, uh-huh. he kind of is in tune with the pot. He's so filled up with revenge, Todd, that he flies through his own roof. You know, just because he's mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. <laughs> which which is a nice... It, it's kind of bookended with that image of him flying through the roof, too. Not to spoil anything... Yeah, he's really good. And like I said, he's he's sort of a supervillain. He's like invincible. I love, by the way, that uh, such a almost daft sound design choice for the flying guillotine as it goes through the air works for the movie so much because it's a gunshot uh, sound a la right. what you would hear in a, in a in a wild west movie. You know? Yes. It's like, yeah, it's a ricochet sound. Yeah. It works for me. I mean, it shouldn't work because... That sounds like someone's error. You know, like, who put that on the soundtrack? But, okay. It sounds like someone pushed two buttons at the same time by mistake. So they got the bullet ricochet and some other sound that's mixed in. But it's very distinctive. You know, it's like Godzilla's roar. You know, if I ever just heard that out of context, I'd be, that's the flying guillotine. You know, so it's very distinctive. What what is also distinctive, by the way, we, we'll talk of this during the availability section. But uh, the soundtrack for the movie apparently yes. consists of. I, ha- I had to look this up because uh, well, well, I know a new one of the groups on the soundtrack is called Noi, 
uh, which is yes. a German group, but apparently they have some uh, Kraftwerk sounds in here, here and some needle drops, and they really feature what's apparently called Krautrock. And I'm sure you're more familiar with me than that, which sounds like as daft of a choice as having like Sean Michel Jarry on like Snake and Eagle Shadow, this uh, very atmospheric electronica. But goddammit, it, does it sort of just get you amped up to hear that uh, song by Noi in the credits? Like, I thought you would be the one who would be who would know Krautrock because I don't know it that well. I have some friends who are very into it. It tends to be very droney and repetitive. Which would suit me. <laughs> yeah, I, right, exactly. That's why I thought you'd be into it. But uh, I thought it was a very inspired choice. I rarely think that with these needle drop scores, but it really, you know, it affected the tone of the movie in a really interesting way because it, it, it's sort of the kind of music that builds tension you know, rather than having these big orchestral stings whenever something happens, everything's just kind of, there's this kind of creeping, incessant, droney kind of, yeah. It, it, it's it's filled with portent, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that particular track is, uh, I, I don't know which one it is because they use two or three of them, but it, it's very intensely... I wouldn't say punk as such, but it certainly is, to, to simplify it, it's, it's essentially a guitar-driven rock with elements of electronics. Yes. And it's it's very distinctive, and uh, there, there's a, that band got aware of the usage of this music eventually, which uh, plays into the release history of, uh, of Masters of Flying Eating, but we'll certainly uh. get to it. But they even use cues, electronic cues from whoever it is, whether it's them or Kraftwerk, when you know when you see Jim Jimmy Wang you demonstrate that he can walk on walls and they the, the cues they drop are electronic too and it's a you know for once it's not Morricone for once it's not classical music for once someone had some different records at home yeah <laughs> I watched Master or no what is it King of Snake recently and they used uh, Jill's theme from once you know how they use that in uh, Island. Uh, Island of Beauties or whatever it was, they used Jill's theme from uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is like just a beautiful, haunting Morricone thing. And they use that for the scene where the snake is dying and the little girl is crying. And it's and it was like, God damn it, you got me! Because it like brought a tear to my eye because that song is just so evocative. You, you you can put Morricone on anything, uh, even a uh, children's Taiwanese little kaiju movie. In the case of, uh, uh, in the case of that movie, you know, as a filmmaker, Jimmy Wang Yu isn't you know making waves or anything. You know, as far as dialogue is concerned and exposition, it's all functional and basic. It's it's and, and there's nothing wrong with function. He gets us into the movie fairly quickly we 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 have the tournament yes but it's all basic but there's nothing wrong with basic he established himself as someone with good morals where you gotta fight for spiritual health and not winning which comes into play later because uh, the one on boxer is a bit of a hypocrite in that regard yes (laughs) Uh, because the thing is his handicap never made him look weak you know he trained in the first movie one on boxer so I, I was surprised that he had to cheat in this movie, but, uh, you know. How, how do you mean that he cheat? I'm sorry. I mean, everybody was cheating. The guy who was, like, named 
uh, no blade Yakuma has hidden blades in his That's true. stick. I, I think I'm referring to the his fight scene with the Thai uh, Muay Thai practitioner where he has the, the steel floor with the fire underneath it and uh, the Thai fighter burns his feet while the one-on boxer is, uh, has, uh, has shoes. <laughs> I actually really like that scene. I do but you're, too. I mean, it's it's playing dirty, but I mean, at that point, I felt like you know they were they were taking desperate measures because they felt like they were, you know, they were doomed. So they were like willing to do anything mm-hmm. to to defeat these guys, and that was and part of their plan was they had to, you know the tie fighter was his was the the master's right-hand man. So they're like, we have to get rid of this guy first. So they weren't going to take any chances. It, it is certainly like that. It's just that sequence kind of stands out. It's great because you, saw, you sort of feel sorry for a guy who's burning yeah, his feet and he's, he's flopping around like an animal that's hurt. Uh, and and uh, Jimmy Wang Yu just steps into his uh, water bucket outside and everything's good and he just walks out of the water bucket. <laughs> it I'm was good. like a cartoon, all the steam comes out. Exactly. It, except in a cartoon it would be his butt that was on fire and he'd have to sit and go, ah! But 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 as for the big centerpiece, really, and it does run run long. But but the pros to the centerpiece that is the tournament uh, is that we get a mix of styles, and that that's a good thing. There's pl- plethora yes. of uh, different characters and mix of styles, and and we should also mention that uh, uh, Lao Ga Wing and Lao Ga Lung directed the action. Lao Ga Lung is the director of uh, Photo Six Chamber of Shaolin, and Lao right. Ga Wing is his. Uh, Actor and uh, occasional filmmaker brother as well. And uh, Lao Ga Wing is in the movie. He's a, a spear fighter at uh, nearly the top of the tournament. Uh, that is a good thing uh, when at the beginning stages, uh, at the very least. You know, you know, you have styles such as Eagle's Claw versus the Thai fighter if his style is Muay Thai. And the complexity and the speed of the choreography is overall very impressive. And the way... The guys, I mean, they were already accomplished, Lao Ga Wing and Lao Ga Lung. So they knew how to vary up shots to display the, you know, the evolving nature of the fight and the dynamic nature yes. of the fight. So there's some very expert filmmaking traits going on within the fights here. Uh, I'm not saying that the tournament scene is poorly shot or staged. It's just so digressive. You know, it it's it just kind of makes the narrative lose its momentum. It, it picks it up again, but you know, and first time I saw this film, I was so sort of alienated by how long the tournament went on mm-hmm. that I sort of lost interest in the film. Seeing it again, you know, I realized the end is great. It's amazing, and it really makes up for that time lost. I would recommend this film, but you just kind of hang. You have to hang through its long years. You know, you have to, uh, you know, hang in there for the end because it's worth it. I, I agree, and 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 I was, uh, and uh, I I certainly am not defending the sequence. I I I think it's it's good that, or rather, I think the intent was, and maybe it's a half failed experiment too. Okay, mm-hmm. if we vary it up the attention span of the audience is going to be there. And uh, that's a good idea, but they, they probably could have made it two or three fights shorter and still had uh, yes. a long sequence, mind you, but still 
had an effect. Uh, there, there are some highlights here. I love when or two or at least one duel ends up with both people killing each other. Yes, that's I love true. that because there's an announcer that I that that says like who wins and who lost and drag him out of here. And uh, I, I watched it in English, and it's beautiful when when they kill each other and the guy says how Chung wins, and so did King Chen. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was definitely humor in the. I mean, there was like the. I think it's the first time you see the master use the flying guillotine on a person. It's this kind of crazy guy, and they're saying he's a bum. Don't worry about him. And 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 the master just shows him and goes, wing chop, dead. You know, it's very summer. It's almost. It's funny because it's so summary. There are a one-on-boxer imposters, which the blind man obviously doesn't know, so he takes, yes. uh, takes out a couple of people. And would you say the gore effects are uh, basic but functional? Because, you know, it's, a, it, it, it's not um, Lone Wolf and Cub style gore here, right? No, it's, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty uh, mild, I'd say. And the other thing about the way the the guillotine works is like once you retrieve it, you have to dump out the head. So he just kind of <laughs> exactly. chucks the head off to the side and you just see a brief glimpse of a severed head. Whenever these beheadings occur, like the, the, the mix of what kind of shots they do and how they edit it, it, it it's all functional. I mean, it's not the obvious puppetry or anything um, you know, like a poor paper uh, mache or anything. So yeah. I think they do well. They just don't uh, they, they don't load those pop it up up with blood or anything. Well, then you have the the headless body kind of like flailing around for a minute, and that's funny because you know the shoulders are really high, you know, because obviously that's uh, the actor's head is concealed under the shirt, so it's got that also that funny kind of Halloween costume quality to it. I, I've never looked into the following thing. You mentioned the yoga fighter, which is obviously uh, the Indian fighter with uh, yoga skills. That means he can extend his arms. I, I've never looked into the fact that if this connection is valid or not. So I'm just going to put it out there and we can, um, the people and we can debate. But I wonder if Capcom, the makers of Street Fighter 2, saw this movie and based their the design of their fighter called Dalsim who can extend his arms on this movie or not. I wonder. I have heard, yeah, I've seen that speculation elsewhere. You know, this is a pretty iconic film, and I would be very surprised if the makers of those that game had not seen this film. So I'm going to say yes, that it was inspired, or, or maybe it was meant as an homage. There's always that. Yeah, he certainly doesn't look the same. Um, uh, yeah. So it's not the uh, um, like a, a a copy character design. So, um, but uh, I I did the reverse because I played the game many many years ago and saw the movie when it first came out on um, US DVD uh, ten twelve years ago. So I I went the other route. Uh, Cam Kong is kept out of the movie for a while, and I, and I think if the way Jimmy sort of furiously reintroduces him i think he's a genius little little choice because yes. he turns up and just jumps into places and he turns up in places and just launches into action you know he hears someone hey look at that one on boxer and then takes a head off you know yeah he takes over the school at the end i think isn't that what happens he attacks 
the school. Yeah, he just jumps through the window and starts slicing and dicing. You know, he's after the one-arm boxer and... Uh, that's such they've established him so strongly that he really becomes this uh, i mean i'm not scared of him but he (laughs) it's a it's it's a villain with um with a lot of impact he and the act and the actor however old he was at that time it's not an elder actor really sinks his teeth into this one and yeah and it's i think it's one of many reasons why people just go like oh, oh, oh cool when they watch this movie because Kang kong is pretty damn on i think uh, i'd say you know i agree no it's his film it's his film to lose i mean it's like he's the super villain he's like the freddy krueger you know it's almost like that that style because it's that you know, that kind of relentless pursuit and he'll just, you don't know where he's going to pop up. He could be anywhere. Then that's done very effectively, but it's in like the context of a Kung Fu film, which is pretty neat. You know, it's like, you don't see that often. And just to ask a basic question, I mean, you, you know this, but uh, we, we talk of this being a part fantasy movie, part like gritty grounded movie, but, and it's filled with characters, but do, do you think it's ever incoherent based on that? No. Because we're kind of used to some to this genre being incoherent when they when they pile on the characters and twists and turns. But uh... my reference point for that is always like Choi Yun films. Like those are the most hard to follow, convoluted, but great films. But you know, I didn't have as much trouble following this as I did like Dragon Sword and Heaven Saber, which is one of the most impossible fault to follow movies i've ever seen isn't that a two-part series to boot as well so yeah they're two yeah they're two parts that doesn't help the first yes the first part begins with a recap like it's a recap of a whole movie that doesn't exist you know so it's kind of Yes, it's like it's like how is that helpful? You know, I don't know. It's like yeah, there's like a whole films worth of plot that's dispatched with in a five minute sort of flashback sequence. Well, one more thing I wanted to say about the um, how comprehensible this film was, which it was, is that the pacing of the film, I wouldn't say it's leisurely, but it's pretty deliberate. You know, it doesn't, it never feels rushed. And I like when it's done well in an action film. I think that's I enjoy that because it shows a lot of confidence on the part of the filmmaker that you can kind of draw things out. So I mean, I don't, and I think that's something that the score adds to too. That sort of slow, all that slow pulsing music. So that rendered it. None of the developments came up too fast, you know. So I. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with understanding it. No, it's it's very true. I mean, it is a basic movie when all is said and done. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I reacted to the pace of it all. It being very deliberately sort of rolling out the elements at my own pace. And uh, but, but it certainly finds a stride. Once we're structurally in the part where we know it's going to be Jimmy Wang Yu versus the, a variety of the tournament fighters and then the finale versus the blind man. And it again gives us a chance to soak in maybe the nuttiest elements of of the movie, being the Indian fighter with the retractable arms. Yes. And I have to say, those effects, I mean, this is 1976, five. those effects are done in camera. They're impressive for the purpose of the movie, despite looking like mock arms. I don't think... I don't think you can mock the effect. I think you 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 can have fun with the effect even in 2017. Yeah. Um, 
because it's it's conveyed sort of okay yeah his arms are longer it's not like they are they, they are sort of pathetic special effects uh, because the shots that jimmy finds and chooses and how it's all edited together gets the job done right it's enough for me to sign on for exactly you know? exactly you know you have my you have my suspension of belief you know uh, interestingly, I watched the American like Grindhouse trailer for this. Yes, and in the the way they marketed it in uh, here was sort of as a special effects uh, extravaganza. Like they mentioned the special effects twice, and they say special effects in Super Cinevision, which I don't think ex- believe. Me, I googled it, and I don't think it ex- exists. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure not. It has a registered trademark uh, uh, on it. Like it's filmed in... Spe- <laughs> right. They are especially filmed in Super Cinevision. Huh? I mean, that the, the film is scope, <laughs> I get. But that uh, yeah. they're Super Cinevision, so you need special glasses and clothes to even understand them. <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of think it was that, you know, it was at that time that those like ray harryhausen like mythological films are coming out and those were in like super dynamation you know i think it was kind of a reaction to that like you know special effects is sort of a gimmick and having some sort of super super science process to doing it exactly it sounds it sounds great when you put it up on the screen in full scope in a yellow uh, yellow lettering like Okay, if they if it's there, it's got to be there. They, they they wouldn't be lying to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody's putting you know super cinevision on their re- resume. And the, the movie sort of um, concludes with like, what I think is a wonderful sort of trope with kung fu cinema when done in a fun way, where where the hero watches something in his environment and realizes, aha, that could be used as a countermeasure. And yes. whether it's through training, in this case, it's Jimmy Wang Yu watching someone trying to uh, split bamboo with a dull axe. And he realizes that bamboo is pretty damn strong. So that he uses that. We, we won't spoil the, the, the gimmick necessarily, but he uses that as a countermeasure versus the flying guillotine. And I think that's part of what I think leads up to that is clever. I think it is clever. And it leads up to this uh, sort of a booby trap ending, which we won't quote, of course. But it's part of what the what I said. The movie hits its stride. That includes that trope with the bamboo, and it certainly includes the ending, which I think is super fun and not something I've seen repeated a lot of times, actually. Like I said, I loved how the, he figured it out. It's very clever. It makes the ending well earned. It's not just like some deus ex machina shows up and you know settles the fight it's like he figures out how to defeat him and he follows through on it and it makes the ending feel it's it makes it very gratifying you know it's not a cheat it's like it's 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 not a cheat it's it's uh involves intelligence and planning and you know, finally, we get to see the one-on boxer actually box and fight. And uh, yes, and it's part of you know, it's not as much as in other Wang Yu movies, but it's what we see here is part of what I really like about Wang Yu that he could sell power fairly well. Um, there, there's some nice follow-through punches, you know, with his one arm yeah. for powerful effect. And as they go more hand to hand, there's a very nice flow and nice powerful aura to to their fight that has been about booby traps in this coffin shop but they do go 
toe-to-toe as well and uh, we don't know necessarily where the traps are going to be set off they're, they're mostly sort of spring uh, spring-loaded axe uh, traps kind of yes thing. and that makes that environment very um, unpredictable and and the point is also to have that that environment is supposed to be very orally alive so he so you don't know so he the blind man has to listen for a lot of things you know uh, also, when they set up the traps, you don't really see what they are. You see them setting these contraptions up, but you don't know where they are, what they are. And then when the first time one gets sprung, it's like, oh, shit, that's what, that, it's, that was awesome. I was like, whoa. Not a dull axe anymore. It goes into a yeah, body. No. Yeah, <laughs> we are so spoiling the ending of this movie, yeah, but right. oh, well. It, it, it's all good fun. I mean, again, it hits its stride, and I think a lot of the, this stuff is fairly iconic for the genre. I think Jimmy really crafted something fun and really tapped into something something special in actor cam kong uh, because it's not you see old men with gray head white head fighters in movies and there's only a select that are iconic you know you got low lead as uh, you know um yes. uh, pai Mei in uh, clan of the white lotus and uh, executions from shaolin and and then you got the copycats and that gets tiring really quickly but yes. jimmy really found something uh that I think he was inspired by. I can sense him being inspired just filming cool shit with yes. Cam Kong and filming Cam Kong do cool shit. And that shows up. It adds to the fun level. So my lasting memory, like element of this viewing, is how damn good Cam Kong is as the blind monster. I think that's fair. I think he carries the movie, really. Wang Yu is great. The fights are staged well, but I think... It's called Master of the Flying Guillotine for a reason. He is the center of the movie. Yeah, Jimmy could never really bring the charisma. As much as I like him, he was never no. this char- charismatic movie star, but he had a tough, brawly presence, I suppose, and that was enough most of the time. There's something, to me, there's something kind of childlike and churlish about him. I mean, yeah, he looks like a boy, kind of, and he always has kind of a sour expression he doesn't seem to have a lot of sense of humor about himself he never really played uh, played up his comedic persona i, I can say yeah. that for sure now but if you think he's young here watch those movies from 1965 <laughs> like whoa Shaw brothers uh roped in 12 year olds in movies well yeah he did a spy movie that was like a uh called asia pole which yeah. was oh, a he's hot... far too young for that movie he looks oh, so God, young yeah yeah, and he's up against Joe Shishido, you know, who is the big Nakatsu star. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he looks like he's 14, and he's supposed to be like a James Bond type figure, and it just doesn't... I'm an agent, yo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did it for England! <laughs> yeah, the spy movies uh, were a Shore Brothers thing indeed in the late 60s. Uh, I'll conclude my notes here, my friends. So before the availability, anything else you want to say about Master of the Flying Guillotine? I mean, I'd recommend it with the with the advisory that the middle for me the middle was was kind of a drag, um, but it's worth hanging with. It's in the end in the end run, it's a winner. Mm-hmm. And as for availability, this is fairly extensive because it's it's not been without its problems on uh, on DVD. Uh, there's um, the main ones you should probably look for and can look for are a selection of US DVDs. Uh, so in 2002, Pathfinder re-released the movies to cinemas, 
as well as a special edition DVD subsequently in uncut form. The English dub of the movie was actually um, shorter than the Taiwanese version, so on that disc, you, the English dub is therefore not complete. I don't believe it never was. Um, so if you watch it in English, it, it reverts to Mandarin at points for some dialogue scenes, and uh, that adds up to about 8 to 10 minutes um, shorter running time versus the um, the Taiwanese or Hong Kong version, if you will. Uh, the, the, the subtitles for that version were reportedly just dub titles um, therefore based on the dub and not a translation but for this movie they get the job done Done. I mean it's uh, it's basic I mean they, they didn't reject the, uh, re- reject the dialogue when they dub, dubbed it so I, I have no problems with dub titles in this case I think the first time I watched this movie it was on like a public domain you know dollar DV and so the quality was not very good so seeing it in this quality that really helped too I mean it's hard to stick with a film that's not all that great if the actual visual quality is really poor, too. So I think that was one of the problems I had with the first time around. Yeah, it's it certainly is, um, looks better. It's still a rough print. Uh, it had a lot of, uh, like, uh, in, in, at times it had a lot of flickering and uh, certainly still True. print damage, but still fairly vibrant colors, widescreen, obviously. Um, so, so Pathfinder did that version. They later reissued it in uh, anamorphic widescreen because uh, the the first one wasn't in an anniversary edition with uh, new extras. Uh, where they placed the Mandarin version on its own disc and the shorter one on, on its own disc. So um, you can watch it that way. And uh, going off the notes from the John Charles review for Hong Kong Digital, the previously restored negative for the first DVD had picked up additional damage uh, because first films in Taiwan used that version to strike uh, new 35mm prints and uh, that created problems for the reissue because they the print was more worn. F- first films really should have duped the original ones, uh, original one in, in a better way I suppose but the, the second anniversary edition apparently suffered from excessive digital noise removal and it was very soft and hazy and uh, and it picked up some print damage, so uh, uh, frame damage, so the repeated frames to mask that damage. So the first DVD uh, is apparently versus that new. It's more crisp, more clean, and as John said, the new one looks more like a slightly hazier quality Ground Zero junk DVD. Oh, okay. First films really should have tended to the original and not uh, add strain to that one, which uh, which was apparently what they did. Um, but reportedly an, an Australian DVD release looks the best, but by this point uh, the unauthorized music by uh, the so-called Krautrock band Neu and Kraftwerk, that music had to be removed. So uh, That's too bad. It, it, it is too bad, because, but, but they're in the right, of course. Uh, and they replaced uh, the soundtrack with like rather poorly redone like synth music on a cheap Casio <laughs> synthesizer. So oh, wow. It's not like they went back to let, let, to let, like let's score it super well. They just sort of did a thing and right. then had to release it that way. So I, I heard something many years ago, and I, I might be wrong that when Noi got like uh, wind of this being a movie that they were in, one they didn't like that, two they hated the movie anyway. <laughs> so it's like they, they they weren't like, hey, we like that movie from our youth. That's cool. No, we hate the movie. I would be honored if I were them. That's how Todd's music gets put into a Kung Fu movie sometime in the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd like I would I would be well chuffed if that happened. 
Unfortunately, that does that still go on? I mean, it seems like, you know, international copyrights were in such a state of disarray back then that you could maybe get away with that. But these days, I don't think you could really get away with that without no. someone catching it. And they actually score movies themselves nowadays, you know, who were... Uh, so, so, so yeah, that's a that, that's probably a, a long gone era. Yeah, Shallon Invincibles, by the way, appeared to have an original score, which was good, or at least it was a Eastern sounding score. There were no Western sounding music cues dropped in. No, no Jill theme in that one. Right, no Jill theme in that one. <laughs> which would have been cool i think that uh, you would be like that's beautiful the girls are fighting for they want revenge <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, that is uh, our cue to take a small musical break and then we'll discuss uh, the shaolin invincibles aka uh, the one with the gorilla so gorillas uh not the gorillas the group kids it's not them it's not the gorillas. Uh, yeah, but, Damon Albarn had nothing to do with this. Uh, but uh, we'll be back uh, for a uh, for a plot synopsis and all of that, and uh, sit tight, and uh, we'll tell you all about it. And welcome back, and this part of the section, uh, section of the episode, uh, the second movie up for review, is The Shaolin Invincibles from 1976, the one with the gorillas. And uh, plot is, plot, <laughs> Todd is here to provide the plot for us. So what is this uh, this uh, 86 minute epic about? Hey, it's the Qing Dynasty. Hey. <laughs> and an evil despot, King Yung Chang, has cast his shadow over the land. When we meet him, he's having the entire family of a low-level functionary slaughtered over an imagined insult. Fortunately, a heroic monk intervenes. Just in time... Uh, by the way, I just reviewed this on uh, my blog, so I have the benefit of already having written this synopsis. Fortunately, a heroic monk intervenes just in time to save the two youngest children of the family, the sisters Lu Zhu and Lu Yu. The girls are whisked off to the monastery to be rigorously trained in the art of Shaolin Kung Fu for the next 12 years, after which they flower into adult womanhood in the form of actresses Sha Ling, a.k.a. Judy Lee, and Lung Shun Er, a.k.a. Doris Lung. Who was actually in Master of the Flying Guillotine. Uh, she was the uh, master, well, the daughter of the Master of the Eagle's Claw in Master, uh, that was uh, Doris Lung. Now unstoppable killing machines, Ken, the sisters are released by the monks to begin their campaign of bloody vengeance against those who killed their family. Along the way, they are helped by two fighters, played by Carter Wong and Dorian Tan, whom the monks have dispatched to watch over them. Meanwhile, the king and his crony, Governor Lee, having been made wise to the sisters' advance, send forth all their most formidable fighters to stop them, including a pair of Kung Fu trained gorillas. Because we all expected that. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the cherry on top. I, I do want to say one thing, you know, because 
a lot of times we talk about the cray cray stuff that goes on in these movies and we don't often really stop to think about like why why is this in this movie and in the case of Shaolin, I mean, I don't want to bogart the conversation here, but in the case of Shaolin Invincibles, it's otherwise a very straightforward, very solid, like nuts and bolts kung fu movie. It is. It is. It's got a good, you know, solid revenge plot. It's very fast paced. The fighting is like excellent. So why? And but the gorillas seem kind of tossed off. And my theory is this, as I said in my article, it's like. You know, here you are, you're you've you're putting the finishing touches on your perfectly, you know, respectable little kung fu film, and then one of the people with their one of the producers, one of the people with their hands on the purse string says, You know what? I've always wanted to see Judy Lee fight a gorilla. Ew. <laughs> you know, right? It's like some it, <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I think this is like somebody you know, some, this was a harebrained scheme that somebody, you know, said, we should have this in here. And <laughs> Well, uh, I, I wondered too, and uh, that's pro- in all likelihood what happened. Be, be, because they, they don't bat an eyelid as this happens in the movie. I no. wonder if there's a... There's certainly not a tradition in movies, so that's why my theory might not hold water. But I wonder... If there's an ever so slight tradition in the written Wuxia novels somewhere that feature a gorilla, maybe I, that, that is a big boring maybe. I know your story is way better, <laughs> but I, I just wonder because they don't go like what? Right? Yeah, no one acts like it's weird. Exactly. We 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 just sort of train these these uh, gorillas. So here they are. Yeah. Well, you know, or it could have been like, well, you know, that we were going to make that gorilla, you know, Shaolin gorilla arts movie and that they pulled the funding for that. So we have these gorilla suits lying around. We got to do something with them. And it and it's not like it connects to the Taiwanese tradition of uh, of kaiju monsters or anything like that, because no. they aren't. Uh, um, because we've seen those movies where they're perfectly respectable kung fu movies and boom, a scene with a kaiju monster. Um, yeah. but it's not that either it's just these uh, yeah. sh- human sized gorillas for lack of a better word they're supposed to be actual gorillas but they're really really terrible costumes and there's not really any attempt made even by the actors to sort of act gorilla like they're just kind of walking around in these saggy baggy gorilla costumes with visible zippers in back and uh you know, and their sneakers poking out at the bottom. It's very, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very haphazard and it seems like an afterthought. And it just makes me think there's a, there's a story there. I'm sure that, you know, if you could talk someone involved in that production, they'd be like, oh, those gorilla suits, let me tell you, you know, <laughs> do you agree? I, I think that's, probably what happened and i would love for someone to tell us the story uh unfortunately i think it was made by people that were making like 10 of these movies that week anyway so it, it it's that that's why this gets sort of lost in the shuffle right i actually agree you threw out a good quick opinion so i'm gonna throw out my it makes us a fairly serious but not somber revenge piece with with this out of the out of the blue element such as the gorilla fighters that might sound like fun incompetence but it isn't 
is actually fun competence. And I wonder if uh, this is sort of my uh, shared fear, if, if this was filmmakers knowing the genre was busy, it was way too busy with the same old story strands, and therefore they thought the, the smart and challenging and creative decision is to inject batshit crazy elements, but play straight. Either way, it's a lot of fun, and it's refreshing, because it's not just an idea that they put there and then sloppily execute because the movie is super solid the gorilla suits are the low budget solution of the piece but it's it's sort of they they take a dare they take a fucking dare by playing this super straight caught the wong it does not react to anything being crazy here the ladies only have revenge on their minds and yet they, they get away with it and I, I think that was a damn challenge to sort of go like yeah. hey this isn't serious but Everyone's going to treat it seriously, but us behind the camera, we're going to sit there and go. (laughs) (laughs) That may be very true. You know, the the really impressive thing is they really play up the gorillas as a threat. I mean, they they don't really come into play until the end of the, the movie's climax. But throughout, we keep coming back to the gorillas, you know, and their training and their... And they're just like, you know, and meanwhile, here are these gorillas and, you know, they're going to come into play eventually. And they're just uh, apparently invincible fighters and everything. Except for one weak part, which is classic. Except for one weakness. Yes. And, and, and wouldn't you know that that comes into play in the climax. But when the climax comes and everybody fights the gorillas, it pays off. It's actually a very good action sequence. And by this point, you've been sort of inured to the gorillas, so you know it's going to happen. But it's actually a pretty exciting scene, and there's some very good, some really good uh, stunts and stuff in it. Well, well, the, well, the guys are very, um, if they were indeed uh, guys, very uh, mobile in the suits. The, the, the suit doesn't make uh, the fighting clunky, which is uh, s- certainly yes. a note we'll get to. But I, I want to mention this. One of the efficient parts of the movie is that they spend and this is a good thing and hopefully i'm gonna say this correctly the movie spends less time setting up the revenge angle than it took for you to read the plot summary and i think that's a good thing because if we we see we hear in voiceover this tyrannic emperor blah 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 we see some killings and the kids whisked away and not even in montage form we see them train because it's sort of cut to there's Judy Lee and uh, and the Doris Lung. They're all grown up and now they're often off on their adventure within about four minutes. And I think that's perfect efficiency because this movie isn't a historical King Who piece that's gonna take slow it's slow and develop characters. Oh. It's it's gonna get to the revenge part and it's a big plus for me that it's we get to the ladies uh, quickly because both of them, I think, are uh, on their own quite uh, quite excellent. And um, yes, I agree. It's it's very economical, and yes, I I always like that in a movie. No movie needs to be like two and a half hours long. Every movie should be at the most ninety minutes. No movie needs to be longer than ninety minutes. But um, yeah, I agree. I think Judy Lee is a very underrated performer i mean because she's a great martial artist she's got a lot of screen presence in this there's a lot of dramatic bits um she's great to watch you know and i think she deserves to be up there alongside angela mao and you know our favorites polly kwan and uh 
you know, I think she's great. Doris Lung, I know less about. In fact, I know nothing about her other than that she was also in Flying Guillotine. Do you know anything about her? No, not biographically, no. I mean, I've seen both in movies here and there and uh, registered Judy Lee more, to be honest, uh, because Mm -hmm. I I made Angela Mouser a comparison in my head that uh, she could, like, echo that ferocity and that power quite well uh, as as was present in, in Angela Mao. But we, we, we certainly get a nice showcase for the, the movie in the form that we saw it, saw it which was widescreen and uh, a bit remastered. It, it might be a low-budget movie, but it does get to play, but both outside on bland locations, but also on grand-looking temple sets with perfectly sufficient costume work, perfectly sufficient makeup, because just because you have those things and because you've seen it a million times before... It doesn't make it always subpar because it's a matter of uh, you gotta capture it well. And in this form that we saw, the Shaolin Invincible, it really gets uh, uh, the widescreen frame really complements uh, the scenes that are meant to look big and grand. You know. Well, you know there are there are also some location scenes shot in actual old temples, which are quite spectacular actually i think they made good use of their budget i thought some of the costumes were excellent in this in the sequence where the two sisters they eventually end up disguising themselves and getting jobs as handmaidens at the king's castle because it's like you know booby trap laden of course so they want to get the lay of the land so they can plan their attack and they wear these very ornate costumes which are beautiful they're very colorful that sort of brought about another part of the film all the whole thing that goes on in the castle but um you know i think that there was some very nice costume designs some very good choice of locations facial hair they don't do well in the, this movie though <laughs> <laughs> nor in flying guillotine remember the guy that was supposed to be turkish or something and he had that horrible mustache have a mustache and boom it's crooked never mind shoot (laughs) but it's funny though if you don't know where this movie is headed because it certainly doesn't signal it we don't get any foreshadowing of the gorillas so it's like you're watching the uh, an expository scene with the king or the emperor or whatever and they talk about uh, you know you have to gather together you know the best fighters and all of that they talk they talk and then the gorilla scene hits us and that's where even this viewing, I had a little little experience like, like time out, yeah. time out, time, time out here. Okay, <laughs> okay. Let's. I I literally rewound it, rewound to the prior scene. Okay, what happened here? And please, next time, put on the real movie. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> so let's watch it. No, it actually is happening. You know, we're we're neglecting to mention also the one element that if the gorillas were there would all would be just as much of a what-the-fuck moment, is the two guys with the giant tongues. Yeah, the white and black wizards or ghosts or whatever they are. What, yeah, uh, they look like sorcerers or something. Yeah. And they have the one guy, his tongue is like about three feet long and it just hangs out of his mouth. One of them is um, Blackie Cole, by the way, famous martial artist and uh, stuff, man. I guess they're the gorillas' handlers or trainers or whatever. They seem to be in charge of the gorillas. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine that it cuts to this? You don't, you're not prepared for this cut to. That's why I sort of thought I, I was so entertained by the fact that 
someone probably switched out the movies here because we're not watching the same movie right now, guys. Like, like it's a joke, right? Right? No. <laughs> this was another film that I watched originally. I mean, I think these were films that I watched when I, both this and Flying Guillotine were films that I watched when I was first getting into kind of cult uh, martial arts cinema. This I also watched on a crappy, definitely watched it on a dollar, you know, public domain DVD, very poor transfer. And I watched it because I heard about the gorillas. So, you know, and then once, it, yeah, it's just one, another thing where if I'd seen it in a better condition, um, I think I would have been pulled into it more. But as it was, once I saw the gorillas, it's like it had shot it wide for me. So did not like it. I was very surprised to watch it this time. It was obviously a much better print, widescreen, and just be like totally sucked into it. You're, you know, I forgot about how they introduced the gorillas and the whole thing. We must have our best fighters, and it's like a jump cut. Yeah, to that uh, outdoor little uh, kingdom with the with uh, yeah. Ch- uh, Chen Hung Leet, which is um, uh, a, a proper solid uh, bad guy for the genre to have. You know, we, yeah. we we talked of him before. He was in a life of ninja, and he was super pissed in that movie all the time, and just sh- shouting all the time. So. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah. it's it's certainly it doesn't wink. It, it's not deadly serious where it's somber or anything. Yeah. But you know, it, it's that the you know for, I know you have fun with the movie, but you know. It, is that a good choice when all is said and done to, to not at all acknowledge that this is nuts? You know, does that work for you? I don't. Yeah, it doesn't. I ended up loving the film anyway, so it didn't it didn't cripple the film for me. It just is something it's a mist. It's a mystery at the heart of of Shaolin Invincibles. But yeah, I could see them that that could have been a setup where it's like our best fighters and, and it's monkeys. And, 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 and despite being from, well, well, Kung Fu comedy had not really hit that hard, but we had Kung Fu comedy and it does, it doesn't go down those routes. And I, I agree because I was happy for the rest of the movie because we got those lines of, uh, you know, so you say they know Kung Fu and can withstand swords. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. happy for the entire movie and we see the sneak- sneakers of the guys. Uh, there's no wink at the audience <laughs> that we're having fun. It's super deadly serious. And because I'm happy because the energy level is also increased yes. and the director uh how uh, Cheng certainly it has got a handle on okay we introduced it now let's create momentum and momentum is certainly what he's got because the performers are in tune chen hung leet is you know a, a maniacally laughing villain as well he got that that smile you know uh, a wide smile uh chen hung leet was probably probably most famous for he played the uh, eunuch in come drink with me it's one of those early um oh, uh, yeah. iconic roles uh, that he participated yeah. in uh, it, it, it's tropes plus something completely new for us anyway and it's not comedy but it's fun and it doesn't clash for some damn reason because i don't know if i want to see the movie where they where they stop and like guys what the fuck the fuck <laughs> you know the ladies they go about their business they see the gorillas and they uh, at one point to get into the castle they say well we essentially like let them take us you know let them carry us away and they do i yeah this may be a thing where our, us being culturally removed might 
make it more mysterious because you know when you think about it you know all these people who worked on these films you know worked on hundreds of them yep. you know there were so many of these films being produced so all these people you know having worked on so many of these films and seen you've got to imagine that they were as aware and probably as tired of the tropes as uh, anyone watching the film might be so that they might actually have a little fun with it by throwing in these outlandish elements and then playing it totally straight. You know, there's no reason to assume that, you know, people were just, you know, dedicated, you know, they're dedicated to the task and there's no humor about it at all. I mean, I think that's, you know, I think people don't assume, you know, they see it as camp, they see it as unintentional camp when I think sometimes it's not unintentional. It's very intentional. I agree. I very much agree. Uh, uh, it feels that way. I mean, it, it's also funny. You can take, because Carter Wong did so many of these kind of movies, uh, you could, almost sense that they could have taken footage from elsewhere and just inject and just inserted it in this movie <laughs> i like yeah. carter a lot uh, he's, he's sort of he's i do a, too he's a stoic sometimes bland but certainly very acceptable and kung fu able yeah. performer and he's got some impressive fight scenes here he meets this uh monk in um, you know on the streets at night and uh that's an impressive sort of hand-to-hand powerful fight scene because Carter had size to him right so um, he could sell that uh, very well and the exchanges in the choreography choreography are very quick and they're very detailed and that makes that element that we've seen hundreds of times in kung fu movies a a memorable one too it's not just the gorillas and uh, some some other you know settings and what have you it's actually a, a a decent little martial arts piece as well an efficient one if anything yeah and i think it's i think because of the gorilla thing it's become i mean a lot of these movies that happens when there's one really strange or what the fuck thing in them or campy thing they become known for just that and sort of dismiss and i think this is a film that's kind of like that because all you ever hear about it is it's well you call it shaolin gorilla so there you go i mean I think it's a film that deserves to be seen on its other merits. There's no extricating the gorillas. No, uh, for heaven's sake, not. But you, you, you don't necessarily miss them when the when the qualities are there. Anyway, uh, outside yeah. in, in the scenes that follow, I mean, the, there's a fun section where they sort of stack fights on top of each other. The girls enter enter one location, a fight in an inn. A new location where they see, where they meet this guy with a fan who's a sneaky fighter. So there's a sword fight versus a fan and you know, the logging quality that could compete in the genre, I think. Uh, you know, and even if they had made it sans gorillas, they would have had these scenes and they would have been of quality. However, would the movie have been talked about if if it did not have gorillas? Probably not. Yeah, prob you're right. You're right, which might be another reason that's in there. I mean, to have it be a discussion point, you know, so many years later, and it certainly is in in cult circles. If anything, it's not considered, you know, top of the line martial arts because it sort of feels like one of many rather than a game changer, right? So, but I think in any genre, you know, the really the very well made but very like nuts and bolts films like this. I mean, I think about. Film noir, which is another genre I'm really immersed in. Some of the best film noir are the ones that just kind of take the basic tropes 
and just present them really well in a very compact and fast-paced way. I mean, I'm thinking of a film like The Narrow Margin, which just takes a very basic setup and just, like, executes. You know, those are as deserving of being classics as, like, really complex films. I mean, you know, I'm not saying this deserves to be a classic, but it deserves to be appreciated for being a very well-made, basic you know, it's got the revenge plot. It delivers on every level. It's also interesting that there can be a lack of impact when you watch it in a degraded form, meaning that it's not in the full widescreen. That can have an impact. And uh, I've had that with movies, even, I'll tell you, even Godfrey Home movies that I saw in full screen, now in widescreen. That can be a different little experience when you can see the full frame of, of uh, what I oh, deem yeah. fun. But, you know, uh, he, he deserves uh, uh, Hao Cheng, which I, going by gut feeling, I don't think he directed many movies. Um, but even like genre veterans like Joseph Kuo, who directed Seven Grandmasters, Mystery of Chess Boxing, even he could phone it in and have little to no effect using the basics. So uh, Hao Cheng is too admired for making the flick alive and move. It, it's moving and but it also is has you know highlights are crazy fun i mean uh, probably the one i love the most that is when um, judy lee is uh, f- falls into the the trap with um you know she's lured into the trap where there, there's knives sticking out of the ground but she manages to avoid them that was the bit i loved that the bit is where she knows there's someone on the other side of the wall in in, in another uh, room in the whole underground prison and they said that well i'll start digging from this side then they cut immediately to a perfectly rectangular hole <laughs> that they've yeah, dug right. like master craftsmen and women and now <laughs> he, she can say hello to the fellow prisoner who we won't reveal that who, well you know what his yeah. deal is because it is a character that comes back but i love that yeah. they didn't dig a little like, like a crude hole or anything no it was a perfect yes. perfect rectangular thing or like um, they, they i don't know I, that made me laugh because it it cut it, it wasn't even a montage it was just like i'll start digging dit, 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 cut to done Right, yeah, it's like a perfect, you know, the the earth mover was brought in. See that sequence though was um I'm pretty sure it was inspired by the book The Count of Monte Cristo because there's a sequence in like that in the book where he and in I'm sure in whatever movies were made where he's it starts with him being imprisoned and then realizing there's a uh, you know someone else on the other side of the wall and sort of just a literary reference. In the, the movie's uh, more classy than we than we might think. Exactly, yes. <laughs> more classy than people give it credit for. <laughs> it's fun to talk about, too. So, for, so, certainly, yeah. And and one thing I won't spoil, but I'm, I'm going to say it's probably the favorite Carter Wong scene is where he faces off versus the two black and white wizards or ghosts that, and the tongue, tongue play comes into play again. And that's one of the surprises of the movie that, uh, and rather, if, you, if you're going to be a little bit mature about this, it's clever to actually pay off the fact that you, you, we've noticed the tongues so distinctly. So why not do something with that? You know, why not have that part of the action choreography? And right. it, uh, it's crude. It's low budget, but yes. I think they pull it off because these guys need to keep that effing piece of tongue in their mouths as they f- flail about. 
yeah, this this film definitely has the courage of its. I don't know. I don't know if I want to say convictions. The courage of its of its peculiarities, because yeah, they introduce these elements, the gorillas and the guys with the tongues, and then they follow through on it. You know, it's like right on. You know, the the fight with the gorilla is great, and then when yeah. When there's the fight with the guys with the tongues, he's tying their tongues together. Carter Wong always looked the same in movies, so it's fun to see Stoic looking big as Carter Wong versus these guys all of a sudden. So they, they planted him in some, some nothingness for once, which, uh, which always helps because it's hard to distinguish certain Carter Wong movies. Was that in that, that one or that one? I don't know. He, he had a shirt off in like. He movies. was in like a ton of movies, right? Because I get the imp- I don't know a lot about him, but I get the impression he's kind of a punchline, you know, for being sort of a, a B actor or something like that. That might just be from writing for Teleport City, and I, I remember. Well, Keith. I don't know. I mean, it's not the greatest presence, and but but uh, for me, it's one of those like I I don't mind seeing Carter Wong. He he came, you know, ready to play had. Uh, skill and uh, his size used his size well and uh, so, so I never really d- disliked him but he wasn't a breakout star for me or anything that deserved more I think he you know working actor appeared in a lot of these bronze men movies and all of that so uh, yeah I liked him I liked him in this and I know I've seen him in other things and liked him just fine and of course, uh, went on to work with uh, John Carpenter out of all people in Big Trouble in Little Pro- China. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. He's very recognizable for that because that's a very famous scene. Uh, otherwise, I don't have many notes other than I think uh, the the late introduction of Dorian Tan uh, Tan Tong Liang and his kicking is. Uh, I like Dorian a lot, but I I don't think he's very well used here. Uh, uh, his his fight sequence versus all the gods in the temple courtyard that feels a little average and too quickly conceived for the movie but i like but i like the scene better when he fights off against uh, one of the whitehead uh, villains in this movie and the, the the braid that that villain has that scene has a better concept and dorian's kicking it looks a little better otherwise i think dorian is just sort of squeezed into the movie way too late to make an impact to be honest i kind of agree i don't i didn't really see the 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 utility of his character it seemed like having a carter wong's character who was like the guardian of the two girls who was dispatched by the monks and basically dorian's character was sort of the same thing i didn't know i didn't think there needed to be two of them it wasn't bad but yeah he didn't really he was not used very much a little little bit of a glorified cameo even though he was put to use in fights but uh and 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 the girls have some uh there's a two-on-one ending here um so uh, the girls are involved in that and there's some impressive and extensive one takes of the two-on-one ending meaning that there's a lot of choreography to learn for one shot and uh, those things are always appreciated i mean the gorillas were dispatched a little bit earlier in the movie but, but there's plentiful end fight uh, sort of um, nuttiness here with uh, tropes concerning unmasking if you will which is always like oh yeah i've seen that before but it is coherent so it's not like it's the 15th twist during the ending choyun style or anything like it's you right who are you? <laughs> we we know that guy when he unmasks. So uh, that's uh, but it's it's all good. I mean, best not to think about it too much. But when you watch this movie, but what you do realize afterwards when you think about it, I hope anyway. 
and, and especially if you get to watch it in widescreen, is that it's fine entertainment that actually benefited from an injection of the crazy uh, and not breaking mood despite it is sort of yeah. tightrope that it walked well so it was a very pleasant rewatch I, i've seen it once in wide but uh, it was like five six years ago so for all intents and purposes a lot of things were new to me um this time around and it was a nice time again good times so yep that was then in my notes anything else you want to say about uh about the gorillas or the girls or what have you no, I just I just say that I really like this film. I and I would recommend it. And I feel if you saw it before, if you're someone like many people did who just watched it for the gorillas and to laugh at, I'd give it another chance and maybe look at it with different eyes, you know. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. There's a lot of campy stuff that we, you know, that we make fun of, but it's 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 got it's got a lot going for it. It deserves reappraisal. Yeah, it's not like you can just do this and then automatically win. You know, you have to... Yeah. You, you, it's not enough just to have the idea and the crappy suit. You have to sort of do something <laughs> with it cinematically, right? You have to... Yeah. And, and I, mean, I mean, again, the guys are in the gorilla suits. Uh, they brawl well because they, they have a little sequence where the gorillas gets to show off their kung fu. So, and, and, they po- and, and they do kung fu poses too, which is cool. You know, <laughs> and they and they leap around a lot. I don't think they do any uh, somersaults. There's a lot of very acrobatic fights, which I loved, and not a lot of really obvious wire work. But the actors are like back flipping like crazy and doing you know somersaults in midair. You know, and I don't think the girls do that, but they do so, definitely do some leaping and kicking and stuff like that. So yeah, to keep the supernatural feats uh, even for the humans, so to say, uh, to to a minimum, it feels more grounded with select sort of like uh, dips into fantasy, and 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 I appreciate grounded work regardless because it shows off the skills of everyone involved, and the girls seem to participate in a lot of it uh, rather than be doubled all the time. So. I love a female a female hero movie, and this is a good one. Excellent, excellent. Well, as for availability, the DVD I'd recommend is the German edition under the title of Das Tödliche Duell der Shaolin. So they they sort of went the generic route as well, you know, the, the Shaolin deadly, deadly duel of a deadly the duel. Death duel, yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than like the the happy, fun time gorilla movie, you know, in German. <laughs> they didn't... Uh, gorilla a go-go. Exactly, they didn't... Uh, Put it on Front Street uh, that way. Uh, that contains a beautiful widescreen transfer of both the slightly shorter German cinema edition of the film, that's what the print is based on, the, uh, the German cinema print, as well as an uncut version that's assembled from a few different sources. Uh, both are accompanied by an English dub, but there's no English subtitles. Um, so, uh, But, but that, that's a perfect way to watch it, to be honest. It's not... Uh, uh, it's not an overly campy dub. It's just sort of very standard kung fu stuff, you know, with uh, vo- voices you've heard a million times before, like Carter Wong's dubber. That's a guy you heard a million times before. He might have been Jimmy Wang used dubber in Master of the Flying Guillotine, for all I know. You know, this DVD is still available for a cheap price. So go to Amazon.de, the German Amazon, or follow the link in the show post that I uh, put up, so you can you can get it. It's English friendly and affordable. We are. Done for this one. Uh, done guillotine and done, done the gorilla and done the guillotine. I think, yeah, there needs to be a gorilla versus guillotine. Movie now. 
like, <laughs> like like the Cam Kong character moves on if he if he did indeed survive in that one and uh, right and know, has a gorilla. I need a revenge thing. on them too. Like the gorillas <laughs> killed my disciples. We, we, which is was really the only one of the few like uh, connections to the first one on boxer movie when they revealed very late that the guys that Jimmy Wangu fought in the first movie was disciples or were disciples of uh, the Cam Kong character. Otherwise, it felt like a very se- very separate movie. That that flashback is from the end fight of one on boxer. You can see Jimmy is uh, like five years younger because the movie is about that uh, much. Uh, it was made five years earlier. Yeah, I've never seen one arm boxer. I've seen one arm swordsman, and I think that's a very, very good film. Cool, man. Well, uh, we'll conclude this one then with some brief contact information and sign off, and maybe watch Shaolin Gorilla again tomorrow. Who knows? You know, we might have have the urge. I will definitely watch this film again. It's it. I really enjoyed it. So this has been Taiwan War on Most of the Flying Guillotine and the Shaolin Invincibles and we are located on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows. If you've seen a movie and want to share the movies and want to share, email us podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We are available on social media. Follow the handy buttons at the top of our website to our Facebook presence, our Twitter feed. You can reach our iTunes feed and you can reach us on Stitcher Radio, uh, their website. Uh, that is uh, the link goes to their website, but you can also stream us on the go rather than in your browser by downloading the applications available on the apple app store and google play so stitcher is your help to uh, to have us on the go and uh, listen to shaolin gorilla uh, reviews that way should do that out in public and uh, and uh, you probably spit out your beverage of choice when you talk when you hear us talk about <laughs> like and then the gorillas <laughs> Uh, so yeah and also I write about uh, these kind of movies uh, Taiwanese uh, nutty movies and regular Hong Kong movies and uh, a few other genres in between at sogoodreviews.com I post basic spoken audio video reviews at sleazykvideo.com and I tweet a lot of nonsense at so good reviews plug away you want to mention your book again perhaps uh sure well i uh, you know i should just say as always i can be found on my blog die danger die die kill ak 40k and that's found at die danger die die kill one word dot blogspot dot com and if you go there um i review all kinds of crazy genre movies from around the world and i have recently reviewed shaolin invincibles and also uh King of Snake, which is another film we should maybe talk about sometime. Probably, uh, I, I'd love to. Uh, it's I've half done it already because we it, we we've talked about the IFD version that uh, injected some Westerners into that uh, uh, into that uh, plot. Thunder of gigantic, gigantic serpent. But no movie made it really clear what the damn snake is called. Uh, Mosla, Mosler, Mosler. Like I, I've I've never known. <laughs> Ma, it sounded yeah, and the one I watched it sounded like muslin or something like that, <laughs> muslin. So anyway, if you go to my blog uh, and you look over in the right hand sidebar, it'll have links to my Facebook page, oh my radio show Pop Offensive, uh, my stuff for Teleport City, and also Keith from Teleport City has a new site called Mezzanot. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But uh, it's another great, very stylish, well, you know, laid out site from Keith Allison. And I've been writing for that as well. Check that out. And then, yes, my novel, Please Don't Be Waiting for Me, hopefully coming out definitely in the summer. I'm not sure of the date yet, waiting for a few little legal complications to clear up. But if you want to get a sense of what it is, read a sample chapter 
uh, see some historical background. I've got a website up, and it's pdbwfm.com. So it's an acronym for Please Don't Be Waiting for Me, which is a line from the Sex Pistols song, Holidays in the Sun. There we are. It out, yes. Cool, Matt. Well, thank you very much, Todd, for the uh, the insight and uh, enthusiasm. And uh, let's... Uh, There's a gas and a giggle. We'll go into the think tank again and see what we can come up with uh, in Taiwan in Taiwan war style. But uh, for now, this has been Kennedy. And with me was the multimedia man, multi-book man now, Todd Stadman. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. 